Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We also are dedicated to being in right relationship with one another, with our own selves and with the planet. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And for today, our animal blessing service, we are extending that to believe that there's a spark of the divine in every animal as well. So when we greet one another in the comments, we imagine that it is the spark of the divine in us, greeting the spark of the divine in others, the same divine. Let us greet one another in the comments if you have access to comments. I invite you now to say the chalice lighting words with me if you were moved to do so. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today comes to us from Eckhart Tolle. Tolle is a German-born writer, public speaker, and spiritual teacher. The New York Times has called him the most popular spiritual author in the nation. He writes, The vital function that pets fulfill in this world hasn't been fully recognized. They keep millions of people sane. They have become guardians of being. This congregation wrote its own mission statement, and we revisit it every seven years. So when we have our new mission statement, we write it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday, and it guides us as we make our decisions about who we want to be in the future. Let us say it together. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. We have uh, board conversations, conversations about the beloved community that are being held right now. And the board members who are on the team that are running the conversations have recorded themselves talking about these conversations and what the beloved community is to them. I became a full-time high school special education teacher in New York City at age 20. For years, I recounted the experience like this. I worked in the trenches of the inner city school system, where 87% of students lived below the poverty line, and 20% of students were diagnosed with learning disabilities. What kind of school do you picture when I say that? If I elaborate with, yeah, there were metal detectors and police, What kind of assumptions do you make about the children in that building? What I hear now in that story is an analogy of my school to a war zone, skating over the racial makeup of the students by describing their socioeconomic status, and perpetuating the tendrils of biological racism by framing difference as inferior. We teachers joked about the fact that our building looked and felt like a prison, with not a single window in any classroom. No wonder our kids didn't want to be there, we said. No wonder they only came for the free lunch, we said. 
No wonder there's a school-to-prison pipeline. We did not say. I didn't understand that joking about the metal detectors we all had to pass through in the morning or calling school security when fights broke out was perpetuating harm and precluding learning. My difficulty to speak frankly about racial injustice, to name or even see the issues my students were facing, made my classroom not the safe space I wished it to be. So if I then tell you about the private school where I later worked with the biodynamic farm down the road and the maypole in the front courtyard, what color do you imagine those children to be? Those teachers. Part of dismantling white supremacy might look like facing our assumptions head on and replacing them with facts. In fact, the New York City public school where I worked serves 60% Hispanic students, 30% African-American, 6% Asian, 3% white. The private school doesn't have any official data, but anecdotally, I think it serves about 85% white students. One place we can start talking frankly about race is when we're talking about the pandemic. For example, the widening learning gap in schools during the pandemic is a result of disparities in resources, such as access to Wi-Fi or parental availability or reduced ESL services. The system that was built to benefit white heteronormative families is continuing to do so while families of the global majority in the United States seem to remain unseen by those families who are not experiencing this harm. This invisibility is exacerbated now when families can stay home in their bubbles and really choose not to see the systems that support them. I think one way we can start to build the beloved community is by equipping ourselves with not only knowledge and facts about obstacles to justice, but also experience talking about them in a space where it is okay to be uncertain. I hope to see you after the service or on Tuesday evening for a beloved community conversation. Links will be in the chat. And I'll leave you with a final question. Are there ways you think about inequalities in education that may reflect your own privilege or prejudices? For our meditation reading, I've invited my cat to join us. We'll see if he behaves. This is a poem I wrote about him. It's called Cat Lessons. No, no, you're doing it wrong, my cat patiently tells me as he jumps up onto my desk. Put down the pen. He covers my paper with his body to demonstrate. That's right, just let go. Feel my warm fur. Watch the curve of my back as my breath lifts it up and gently down. Yes, close your eyes ever so softly, as if your eyelids were butterfly wings coming to rest. He takes up more space on the desk and lays a tender paw across my arm, as he often does when he is trying to teach me to be more like him. He would tell you that he is always teaching me, always holding hope that I'll learn his ways. His teachings are varied, but consistent. Hold mealtime sacred, he tells me. Drink only the freshest water. You deserve no less. Accept gifts with grace. Your gifts may not always be appreciated. Do not be discouraged. Persist. Rise with the sun and lift your face to it with reverently closed eyes to honor its warmth. Do not overthink choices. You can always change your mind. Notice all the life forms in your orbit and give them your full attention, especially the smallest ones. Spend as much time as you can curled in the warmth of those you love. Rest. Rest some more, just in case that wasn't enough. 
He lays his head on my hand, stilling it and keeping it from work with a holy finality. When my fingers have begun to tingle, I will shift him carefully to pick up the pen again. Eventually, I will rise to finish the dishes, to which he will appear disinterested, another of his teachings I haven't yet grasped. Until then, I will slow my breath, close my eyes ever so softly, and accept with grace this gift of his little body curled in the warmth of my own. From white American author Dean Kuntz's book, A Big Little Life, a memoir of a joyful dog. No matter how close we are to another person, few human relationships are as free from strife, disagreement, and frustration as is the relationship you have with a good dog. Few human beings give of themselves to another as a dog gives of itself. I also suspect that we cherish dogs because their unblemished souls make us wish, consciously or unconsciously, that we were as innocent as they are, and make us yearn for a place where innocence is universal and where the meanness, the betrayals, and the cruelties of this world are unknown. Now is the time in our service when we become quiet together so that we can listen or talk to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. In the silence, we hope to become more rooted in the heart of compassion. We hope for clarity. We hope to feel ourselves held in the arms of love. Let us enter into the wise silence together. now as we continue in an attitude of prayer and meditation you're invited to light candles of joy or sorrow or hope or memory or determination In this congregation, we do our animal blessing service in the spring in my ancestral lands back in the Celtic nations. Uh, this is the time of Imbolc or Brigid, 
named after the goddess of the wishing wells and the uh, lamb, lambing season. And uh, the Catholic Church named it St. Bridget's Day. And so it's, it's celebrated at the time when, when the little uh, lambs are quickening inside their mothers and the milk maybe starts running. And so it's a spring celebration for when the earth is waking up out of its winter dormancy. So we do our animal blessing and the reason we do our animal blessing is because they bless us so often. They are companions to our heart, and sometimes they're even soulmates. And when we watch TV with the dogs right next to us, or when we are trying to work on our computer, the cat is walking back and forth uh, on the keyboard, or they, they try to help us, or they try to help us rest as you heard in Kelly's poem they are endlessly interesting and they have personalities that surprise us and entertain us and and they'll take walks with us or take naps with us we have a member who as a boy took walks with his great big pig and they took naps together under their favorite tree. Animals are a part of most of our lives and a delightful part. And we are blessed by them. They, they comfort us when we cry. And they, they make us laugh and they play with us when we want to play. And they're family. Most of them nowadays are family and especially during this pandemic time especially for people who are sheltering solo having an animal companion has made all the difference in terms of keeping sanity during this time which is so challenging to the mental health of all of us it's a terrible depressing Time and something about having a little bit of hope now with the vaccines, um, combined with how scattershot and difficult it is to get a vaccine this week, um, and in the past weeks, hope it'll get better in the next few weeks. But something about it getting a little better makes it kind of even more of a struggle. I don't know if you're feeling that, but I certainly am. So <clears throat> You're in the house, you're, you're trying to endure this time, you're trying even to uh, make this time a creative time or make this time a time when you can go out for walks by yourself or with your, with your animal companion. And I, and I know that the animals have become even more important to us this year. Their relationships have become tighter this year. I am very upset that the animals aren't here in this room this year. I love looking out over the congregation and seeing all the dogs and even one or two cats. But I'm comforting myself by telling myself that there are way more cats at this service than there ever have been before because... 
um, cats are a little bit touchy about being around dogs that they don't know. So I want to say, welcome cats to this service. You maybe have been watching this service with your family all along and you're wondering why I haven't welcomed you until now. Also, welcome dogs. I'm so glad that you are curled up with your family and watching this service or at least being within blessing distance. Or being a dog, you might even come when they call you, which cats don't do. Welcome mice, welcome rats, welcome lizards, welcome birds and snakes, welcome pets of all kinds to this animal blessing service. We're so glad that you all are with us. We partner together. We take care of the animals and the animals take care of us. People say about their animal companions that they give unconditional love. I know that's true of dogs. I'm not sure that's true of cats. Maybe cats are just watching you to see if you stop breathing and then they can run the house. I don't know. Animals love you because you feed them and they love you because you give them water and they love you because you love them and they don't care what your bank account is and they don't care how good of a driver you are and they don't care whether you have wrinkles or pimples and they don't care whether you're fat or thin the animals just adore you you are their world and that's a good feeling I want to talk to you about this partnership between us and our animals, you all know that really back into the dawn of time when we were all um, in Africa, our ancestors were in Africa, they figured out how to partner with the jackals and wolves and hyenas, the people who were, not the people, the animals who were kind of close to dogs and they would hunt with them and toss scraps to them from the hunt and so it became a a partnership that way and the animals who adapted to partnering with humans were more successful than the animals who didn't and so they survived better now a lot of us have heard that phrase the survival of the fittest and People have interpreted that from Charles Darwin as meaning, you know, the physically strongest will survive and those who can just beat up weaker people will survive and that you should be ruthless and alpha and strong. But there are two neuroscientists from Duke that don't think he meant that at all. That by fittest, he didn't mean physically fittest. He meant the fittest to live in community the fittest to cooperate with other species. So Brian Hare and Vanessa Woods are both researchers at Duke University's Center for Cognitive Neuroscience. And they say that this has been at work among species throughout history. And their book is called Survival of the Friendliest, Understanding Our Origins and Rediscovering Our Common Humanity. And it talks about how friendship partnerships amongst and between species 
are what make for successful survival and thriving of species. And we know that our animals help us thrive. There's a study that talks about how elders um, who have pets tend to be in better physical and mental shape. They have higher well-being levels than those who don't have pets. And they have like lower blood pressure and um, they, they have more um, joy in life because they have pets. Even taking care of a plant gives you some of that rather than have, having nothing and no one to take care of. So that's a good thing that animals do for us. Companionship keeps us healthy and happy. And it's part of the art of living. And the art of living is one of the things that we are studying. Okay, now are you ready to bless your animals? Gather them close if you can. Put your hand on them or hmm, point your hand toward them. And we'll say this together. Bless you for depending on me. For trusting me with your well-being. Thank you for all you give me in return. Companionship, attention, your warm furry body next to me on the sofa. Your tail wagging in joy at my return. Your delicious eggs for my breakfast. You have a safe, warm place in my heart. And if you leave this life before I do, I will carry your memory with me. You opened my heart. You taught me compassion and connection. May you be blessed. I'm going to end with a quote from a man who is a, an animal surgeon. His name is Nick Trout, which I think is a great name for an animal surgeon. He writes this. It may be a cat, a bird, a ferret, or a guinea pig, but the chances are high that when someone close to you dies, a pet will be there to pick up the slack. Pets devour the loneliness. They give us purpose, responsibility, a reason for getting up in the morning, and a reason to look to the future. They ground us, help us escape the grief, make us laugh, and take full advantage of our weakness by exploiting our furniture, our beds, and our refrigerator. We wouldn't have it any other way. Pets are our seatbelts on the emotional roller coaster of life. They can be trusted. They keep us safe. And they sure do smooth out the ride. We will now ask for and gratefully receive an offering this morning. You can see the link where to donate. This congregation depends on our members and friends and their 
generous pledges and then they're paying on those pledges. If you are here as a visitor, please, you are welcome to donate. If you are a member of a smaller church that maybe is struggling right now and that's why you're here to watch this service, please donate to them so they'll still be here on the other side of this terrible time. We'll be stronger together. If you want to know what's going on at this church, please pay attention to your Friday afternoon newsletter. That will have the calendar in it, events, it'll have blogs from different committees, and it comes out every Friday afternoon, and that is the newsletter. If you don't get it, you can go sign up for it by going to the church webpage and scrolling all the way to the bottom where it says subscribe to the newsletter. You'll see the word Lodestar, which is the name of the newsy part, not the calendar part. Also, you're welcome to join the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin Facebook page. A lot of announcements are put up there. And if you are a member, if you attend, there is also a members and friends page where you have to answer a couple of questions to join. You have to be a person who attends and you have to agree to our covenant of healthy relations. So there are all kinds of places to get news about the church. And we hope you will get as much of it as you want. Now please join me, if you wish, in saying our words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.